for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of No Driving Gloves. This week's show is going to be a little bit radically different, as Derek and Will are not at home and in their studios. They traveled, and one of them went up to Old Car Festival, one of them was at LS Fest. I just kind of stayed around the house, had a lot of work to do with my day job, didn't get a play, didn't do too much. Had the opportunity, though, to uh, meet kind of a hero of mine that I've ha- or seen and heard about, I guess, over the years. A woman named, uh, nicknamed Leadfoot Lulu. She's doing a cross-country trip right now and swung by and stopped by my work, and I gave her a little bit of a tour around and such. But what makes her fascinating is she's a nice lady, very active. She's not shy about her age as she autocrosses a Lotus Elise, and her number changes every year with her age. And this year her number would be 82 on that Lotus Elise. So at 82 years old, she drives a Lotus, she autocrosses, and she's driving that Lotus across country. Uh, going to the Tale of the Dragon, Tennessee, stopping, hanging out with some of the Lotus people in Atlanta, hung out with some of her, her friends here in Birmingham, stopped by, you know, just visiting friends, going, traveling the country, kind of what we all would like to do is hop in our sports car or Derek's case, an old brass era vehicle and just take a week or two or three and tour the country and see the sights and visit friends and enjoying her life and it was a real good visit first time we've ever met in person we chatted a couple of times on facebook i've always heard about her friends have told me about her and she's just as nice as could be uh wonderful to spend two two and a half hours with her the other day and uh we're hoping to start doing some interview shows as bonus episodes to the podcast and i hope one day to be able to steal a few minutes of her time from her and talk to her about her autocrossing endeavors and life with a Lotus. And I have a feeling she has lived a very exciting life. I know she's lived all over the world and stuff. But right now we've got Derek joining us. He's calling in from uh, Michigan, probably Dearborn. I believe he's at Greenfield Village. So Derek, What's going on with uh, your tour and travels this week? Well, having a blast of a weekend. Um, you know, as you said, we uh, we uh, headed up to Greenfield Village here in Dearborn, Michigan, to come up to the Old Car Festival. And uh, along the way, I stopped actually in Angola, Indiana, and uh, met up with some good friends who were doing a brass and gas tour. And for those of you who don't know what brass and gas is, um, that is a, a tour for brass era cars that run uh, gas headlights, which are acetylene powered uh, headlights and taillights and uh, oil lights and all that prior to cars having an electrical system. Uh, so we ran a, a day long part of the tour with them. That was all we had time for. And then made our way up here to Old Car Festival, where we're just hanging out with Oh, about 500 uh, plus uh, antique cars, all pre-1932 in Greenfield Village. It's kind of amazing that that many of those cars are still on the road 
hanging out, partying. Yes, it is. All kinds of uh, age groups with you, or oh yeah, it's it's an amazing uh, amazing show. Kind of shows you a little bit of where the antique car hobby uh, stands at this point. There have been years where there have been uh, you know seven or eight hundred cars here. This year is a little thin. It's still strong. All the cars are pre nineteen thirty two. I mean, they go back to the eighteen hundred late eighteen hundreds. Uh, there's a few cars here from the the very late eighteen hundreds. And there are folks here that bring cars that are from, you know, their 80, 90 year old, you know, couples uh, and all the way down to there's some early 20s kids that have Model T speedsters that are, are done up in a period correct way that, you know, are allowed in in the race car speedster class. So it is incredible to see and, and you get to meet people that, you know, are the young kids coming up. Uh, the kind of middle class, you know, the middle group of us that are maybe in our 30s and 40s. And then, you know, you get to meet with the people that have had these cars for generations and are passing along the knowledge. Yeah, and I'm assuming you're seeing all kinds of makes and models up there. I saw and I stole off of one of your, your private Facebook page and posted some of the generic pictures of the Overlands and stuff that you were hanging out with yesterday. Anything? Or what do you, what do you think some of the more interesting or spectacular? I'm sure you're loaded down with A's and T's. and. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of Model T's and Model A's here. But, um, yeah, the cool thing, the picture you uh, posted is uh, from the Brass and Gas Tour. So that's all, all the Brass Era cars I was hanging out with. Uh, there's there was a wide range of cars on that tour from uh, we were riding in a 1912 overland um, there were two emf 30s there emfs were built here in detroit uh, all the way up to a beautiful early pierce uh, which would become pierce arrow and uh, that was a wide range of cars and and here at you know greenfield village at the old car festival i mean i'm i'm standing here on the phone uh, staring at, yes, a Model T and a Model A, but next to it is a, a little Austin 7, you know, a little coupe, a couple Dodge Brothers. Uh, there's actually a beautiful, uh, one of the very last American underslungs just down the road here from me. There's a couple Rolls Royces. Uh, and I actually, I'm driving this weekend, I'm driving the replica of the 1886 Benz Patton Motorvog. So I just drove that out here earlier this afternoon and parked it in it, its place in the tent. And uh, we have, I mean, it just, you can, the list goes on and on and on. There's actually the only surviving St. Louis here um, at the show. And that is, uh, the, the cool thing about that car is it's the first car to use Timken bearings, um, which is kind of a, a standard bearing in automobiles nowadays. Um, so Timken's a very famous bearing company and that car is here rolling around. It, it's cool. And, and all of these cars get to drive around the village all weekend you know right now there's cars just driving around on the roads of greenfield village and people are walking around looking at them get to see and actually experience what they sound like running and driving probably a really nice experience up there with the way greenfield's set up with everything's period i know the you know was it the harvey firestone house was moved there thomas edison's laboratory i even believe henry ford had his home moved there his childhood home that is correct Everything is even period and would seem in, in tune with the cars. It's not like they're downtown Detroit driving around the skyscrapers and all this modern industrial stuff. They're actually, I think it's very, very good period. You know, I love, love visiting there a few years ago. 
plan on taking the family back at some point so we, we can enjoy. And I assume they've got the farms working and the sheep out there and probably the steam locomotives running. So probably feels like you're at the turn of the century a little bit, except the guy talking on the cell phone to somebody here recording a podcast. Yeah, you know, the weird guy standing on the porch of Eagle Tavern, uh, which is like a, you know, uh, mid-18, late-1800s inn and and tavern that's actually still a functioning restaurant. Uh, You know, the guy standing on the the porch of that talking on a cell phone kind of ruins the ambiance. But, yeah, it is. I mean, they're, you know, the buildings here range from, you know, the 1700s up into the early, you know, turn of the century, early 1900s. It's a good setting because it is that kind of turn of the century. These cars really do seem to fit the streets of this place. You can get really great photos. And it's, you know, a lot of people, it's say it's like, you know, it's kind of cliche, but it's like going back in time because you can walk through here, you know, stand next to some of these early buildings and all of a sudden the 1903 curve dash olds goes puttering by you know there's probably nowhere else that you're going to get that experience not to keep you on the phone too long but was there any interesting mechanical breakdowns or repairs or have you had any out of the ordinary adventures i know it's not the national uh corvette museum but <laughs> it's uh <laughs> no, no nothing fell through the ground but <laughs> yeah no no nothing's nothing's fallen into the ground yet you know, surprisingly, it's been good. The brass and gas tour, um, the day I was on it, we didn't have any breakdowns. You know, I don't even think there were any flat tires along the way. So nobody was out, you know, working on a clencher tire, tire trying to pry it on and off the rim. Yeah, no, nothing nothing too bad yet. The the Benz uh, amazingly fired up on the, the first uh, first spin of the flywheel, and uh, off we went. Keeping our fingers crossed, the, the rest of this trip is going to go as well. Well, it sounds good. I don't want to keep you on the phone too long. I'm going to say we are recording this on September 8th since we did re, uh, refer back to our Facebook and the Overland Tour pictures. And I shared a photo from McPherson College or a video this morning that included a 1903 Curved Ash Oles and a uh, Benz Potter, Patent Motor Wagon replica also where they're running them and describing them a little bit. So if you go back into our Facebook feed, I, didn't, I only put it on Facebook, and check out those, you can see what Derek's referring to about the bends. It's it's another replica, unfortunately. I don't think the original still exists anymore. Yeah, the, 18, the 1886 does not exist anymore. I think the earliest existing patent Motorwagen is an 1888, and it's in the uh, the museum in Stuttgart. Um, and that is the earliest uh, original example, which, of course, had some updates uh, from the original 1886 version. But it's it's very close to the way the 1886 was built. We've got a replica of the early Daimler motorcycle at our museum. And I know the original of that was destroyed in a fire in the er- uh, early 20th century, around 1903-05. So. 1903. It was Yeah, the fire was at the factory in 1903 that destroyed that. Well, I'm glad you're having a, a good time. We don't want to take away from the ambiance and decor up there. We'll let you put your cell phone away and get back to the 1900s and enjoy your Brass Era stuff. And we'll look forward to having you back in the studio or in your home studio in a week. And maybe we'll do a recap a little bit of this and see what's going on. We certainly will. And, uh, you know, I brought my GoPro camera with me, so... Uh, everybody should look forward to hopefully a few good GoPro videos of cruising around in a 1886 Benz. So 
Yeah, it's, that sounds good. We'll, we'll get those up as soon as we have them in the podcast release. So thank you for taking time from your day, Derek, and joining us, and uh, we'll let you go. Sounds great, John. Have a good one. Thanks. Now, to quickly follow that up, I've also now got Will on the line, and now from a little bit further south in uh, Derek's hometown, actually. Will's at LS Fest in Bowling Green, Kentucky this weekend, and he's joining us now via phone to fill us in on his weekend happening. Yeah, very, very, very good event, uh, especially if you're a uh, LS fan. Um, it, it's not just Chevrolet's, it's uh, anything that is LS powered. Um, so uh, I just happen to have a really, really cool Ford truck sitting around that I brought up here. Uh, I thought it would be something a little different. I uh, was fortunate enough to get with uh, Forge Line wheels out of Dayton, Ohio, to park in their booth for the weekend. So uh, this little truck got a lot of attention. Man, you know, hopefully brought some business to them too. So met up with Scotty D from Scotty D TV here. Uh, he got me uh, media passes. So I was actually doing a little photography work uh, for Scotty D as well. So it's, it's been a it's been a cool event. Uh, especially being on the media side, you get you know access to a few places that just a uh, general participant don't get to uh, take part in. And maybe next year we'll be able to pulse off some uh, no driving gloves uh, media passes at a few events. Uh, get a f- couple more listeners and do it ourselves. Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, there's a there's a lot going on here. Uh, they have the the really the biggest thing is drag racing. Uh, NMCA runs the drag race here, so they have the True Street class and you know all of their general classes that they run. Um, they have an autocross set up, and then during the breaks in the autocross, they change up the track for uh, drifting. So there's drifting, autocross, drag racing, a show and shine, vendors that stretch the whole quarter mile double row trip or actually there's four rows of vendors almost the whole quarter mile so it's it's a pretty impressive event lots of people up there a couple thousand couple hundred or oh man um there was a lot more than a couple <laughs> hundred <laughs> i would i would lean more to over two thousand i'll put it this way if anybody's ever been to beach bend before uh when you go across the railroad tracks it's I don't know a couple of miles to the track. It was uh, it was backed up to the railroad tracks at ten o'clock this morning. Generally that don't happen. That that, that happens between like six and eight. So generally I always kind of lay back and go in after eight. Uh, the crowd was freaking awesome. Ton of spectators and and participants too. Yesterday I was like man, there's more participants than there are spectators. But the weather was absolutely perfect for this event. And, man, the, the spectators rolled through the gate with a vengeance today for sure. The the Ford that you drove up to, what I guess you'd consider a Chevy event, you know, it's appropriately powered, so it's an appropriate vehicle at that. You you did drive that up, too, from Alabama. That's not a you – don't, you don't trailer a lot of your stuff if you can, you know, basically drive it there. Correct. Um, you know, if, if we've shown them for a year or so, then we drive them. Uh, this specific vehicle that we built was actually built to be a driver. Um, it don't have the, you know, the $40,000 paint job or anything like that. So um, this, this truck was actually built for a driver. 
Um, so yeah, so we hopped in it and just motored on up here, you know, getting 22 miles a gallon and running 85 miles an hour. So the little truck is, um, it's, uh, it, it hits the road very well. And that's, that stuff makes me mad. A friend of mine posted his a uh, picture of his Corvette the other day driving to work and it was showed he's averaging like 24.2. You're <laughs> averaging 22. My stupid six cylinder Ford, I get 19. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, those LSs and even I guess you go back to the, even the LT motors they've always got fabulous gas mileage for the amount amount of performance that comes out of them well they have I mean you know a lot of people think the key to gas mileage is uh you know a small engine but that's not the case it's really a it's really a horsepower and torque thing I mean something with 500 horsepower that you drive you know appropriately can get a lot better fuel mileage than something with with 200 horsepower um it just it don't struggle to go up hills uh, and and people don't understand that that you don't have to barely touch the gas to go somewhere it, it's a matter it's going to take say i don't know the exact number but say 18 horsepower to maintain 70 miles per hour if you're doing it in a four-cylinder and you're turning 3,000 rpm or you're doing it in a big v8 turning 1200 rpm <laughs> there's a fuel savings there somewhere it's just how quickly you get to that 70 that can really make the difference <laughs> you're exactly right so uh man i'll tell you it's impressive to see these corvettes and ctsvs and new camaros in this true street class i mean they have to go out of the fairgrounds and do i don't know how many miles they have to they run but they have to run a course you know through the streets and you know actually get out on the road and drive these cars and then they come back to the drag strip and they have to make three consecutive passes uh, there were cars running 145 miles an hour in a quarter mile that did that. That's impressive. You know, some of them had turbo. Most of the ones running that speed were turbo powered. Uh, but still, to get out on the road, drive around like a daily driver, and sit in that traffic for two miles of just idling, and then pull right in there. You can't touch the tire pressure. You can't touch the, you can't raise the hood. You can't put fuel in it and run 145 mile an hour and a quarter. That's, uh, that, <laughs> that's impressive. I don't care what you're in. Talked to a, one of my friends via Facebook or something today. He was on his way up to LS Fest. He, he's known for his rotary engines and his Mazda work. Been in a lot of magazines. His name's Philip Sohn. And he said, I said you'd be up there and told them find you in the, the Forge Line Wheels booth. And uh, he sent me a message that uh, he got an opportunity to meet you. Pretty knowledgeable. I don't know if you remember chatting with a, a rotary guy because his, his next project is some sort of LS powered thing. I know he's creating the YouTube channel around it and stuff. Yeah, we had a good conversation about what he's doing, to be honest with you. And, and I was honest with him. It was a little over my head for what I've done. Um, so I introduced him to a couple of guys that, that do that type of stuff. And, um, so hopefully he made a few contacts. I actually ran into him a couple of times after we chatted in Forge Lines booth, um, up around the drag strip area and whatnot. So, um, yeah, super, super cool dude. And sounds like his, his, his project is going to be, uh, pretty impressive. 
he, he's a little insane. He's got his RX-3s and RX-8, or, or excuse me, RX-7s and tri-rotor stuff and Mazda Cosmos. And he came to me a couple of weeks ago and we were chatting because I'm trying to get him on the podcast uh, for one of our new uh, upcoming interview segments, talk about the rotaries. And he said, well, I'm doing this crazy thing and I'm going to build an LS motor. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're converting you're converting the uh, uh, Japanese guys over now, so. Well, you know, when, when it's a good platform, it's a good platform, and you know, I, I'll put it this way: the the Ford truck that I brought up here is not the only Ford truck there. And let me tell you, the imports that are there with LS motors, there's there's I mean, there's not a ton of them, but there are several floating around and they are all fast and the amount of fox body mustangs with ls motors in them i guarantee you there's at least a hundred here um that are all turbo ls powered fox body mustangs and uh they 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 run hard too they run hard i forgot where i was going (laughs) um with with the media pass, we actually had got to hang out in the media center some. They had you know beverages and and sandwiches and stuff. So we we went into the media center and it was actually in the third floor of the tower um, at the drag strip. But the cool thing about Beach Bend is if you're in the tower, you look out one side and it's the drag strip. You look out the other side and it's the uh, the round track area and that's where they have the autocross and the drifting set up getting to my point the media center was pretty busy the little suite next to it there wasn't but two guys in there so we just kind of stuck our head hey can we come in here yeah sure come on so we sat down and ate our you know ate our lunch and was drinking water and come to find out we're we're in the suite with the track owner uh, a guy named dallas i'm not sure dallas is last name but man he just let us in in his suite with open arms and uh got to hang out with with the owner of the track and talk drag racing and and the events he has coming up and the events that are coming back. And, you know, if you hadn't ever been to Beach Bend, I, I highly recommend going. Dallas is a really down-to-earth guy that owns the track. Uh, I think he told me they have, I, I think it was 22 three-day events at the show, at the track this year. And next year, they're thinking about adding two more. He's got two more that he could add. So man, if if you can get to Beach Bend for an event, whether you know Good Guys comes there, the Tri Five Nationals, you know the Holly LS Fest, man, there's just a ton of things that happen. The Car Craft Summer Nationals, they actually moved it from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to Beach Bend here in Bowling Green. So I mean, there's always something going on here, and, and if you can get up here to this to this venue for any event. Uh, it, it, I'm sure it's going to be a good event. It's amazing when you can just bump into people like that. I didn't realize there were that many events going on there, d- doing three-day weekend events and doing them. I mean, you're doing 22. That means one every other weekend, and you know you take December and January off. So he's got to have one heck of an event staff, and the place has got to be managed per- pretty pretty well to, to pull that off yeah, year-round. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a busy place. He's not... I don't think he personally has a big staff. I think, you know, 
he contracts, you know, good guys or NMCA or whatever to come in and they pretty well take over and run everything. But you're, you're right. He, he still, they still got to have people on the grounds to, uh, keep everything in order and keep the trash cans empty. And, you know, it's still a lot of work. The logistics behind events like that are amazing, and the number of components, even if, like you said, you, you, you have good guys write you a big check or LS Fest writes you a big check and you give them a list of people to hire, you still have to do the maintenance in, in between on that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and whatever else is going on. So yeah, I, com- I commend them doing 22, now possibly 24 events. I'm going to have to go up and see how the, the place operates. Yeah, I, I could be wrong on that, but I, I think 22 was the number. Uh, it was, I was like, wow, that's a lot of three-day events at one place. I'm sure learning a lot of things going on in Bowling Green for for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. It, it, it's kind of the middle of the country. It, it is, and, you know, I think, you know, LS Fest and um, the Hot Rod Reunion are probably the, and the Tri Five Nationals are going to probably be the three biggest events that are held here. And I mean, dude, they're building hotels like crazy in this town. I mean, we're staying in a brand new hotel. I don't think it's been open long. They're building another brand new one right behind it. And it looks like they're building another one right beside the one, the other one they're built. I mean, this, this town's can accept the people. It's because Derek moved there three or four months ago. <laughs> That's right, because he's blowing the Corvette Museum up, right? He's he's doing something. I guess they might yeah. find out he's there, and all of a sudden that construction <laughs> could come to a halt, too. And I want to give the Corvette Museum a plug, man. It's only, I don't know, five, six miles from the track. And, you know, if you come to Bowling Green and you got, a few hours to spare you you need to go check it out i mean the corvette's been made here for a long time you know it's you you go into any hotel i've been stayed at in this place i've stayed at several there's pictures of corvettes everywhere you know i mean this is a corvette town even if you're not a corvette person i don't consider myself a corvette person but just to walk through there and and see the history uh, of that particular automobile it's pretty cool it's a pretty cool place to go visit i definitely enjoy visiting there the few times i've been there now i'm kind of a closet corvette fan i have a lot of respect for the mark and some people trying to talk to some local car clubs and maybe just putting together a big tour up to the corvette museum some people are responding well i don't want to go see corvettes you've seen one you've seen them all but when you get in and you actually look at some of the engineering that cars develop, commonly used from hydroform uh, frame rails to the composite technologies to even you're talking the LS motors and the you know the mm-hmm. V8 development that was done for the Corvettes and the Camaros and that exactly that 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 car has influenced so many others either by what it's developed for General Motors or what it's caused Ford and Chrysler to develop and create competitors. The Viper wouldn't exist without it. Who knows where the Mustang would be without it? Yep. And and you get to witness um, the restoration of one of the cars that fell in the hole. It's not finished yet. So, you know, that's still going on. And then the cars that did fall in the hole, they're they're, they're right there, you know. Um, The dirt's still on them. The, the tires are blowed, still blowed out. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, I was there a few weeks. 
I was there a few weeks before they fell into the hole, and I've been there now since the cars have are now on their display and the progress, and it's sad to see what what's there, but in a museum setting, and th- this speaks a lot to Derek and what he feels, because before he was with the Corvette Museum, he helped consult on how to handle that, handle what to do with the cars. Yeah. And I totally respect that's what they've done is, yeah, you can make the cars nice again, but that doesn't portray the history of the car. That portrays the history we want the car to have. And yep. sometimes history, when it comes to things, isn't isn't nice and the, the nice pretty things we want to want to see. I think they've done a phenomenal job on, on doing that the way they did it. I that My first time going to the Corvette Museum was only a few weeks ago. You know, yeah, I watched it on, on on the internet of them pulling them out and all that stuff. It's just not the same as as walking around it and really seeing the damage that was done to those cars. It's crazy. And and but on the flip side of that, when you walk around there and, and you look to the bottom of that hole where they've got that, where you can climb down in the bottom of it. You look down in there, then you realize how how the, how far they fell and what fell on top of them, and just that they're still intact is pretty insane. The just the quality of the build of those cars, you know. Never really thought of that, but you're you're right. To we we never see cars in that that state. We might drive by an accident on the interstate or something. But until you go into some of these auctions and salvage yards, you can see some of these cars like that. But those Corvettes, if they were in the real world, would be shredded and recycled into something else. This actually does prove a little bit of the structure and how well those would be built. Obviously, I would say you wouldn't survive that accident, but the car did. And it's amazing how intact I get when you're saying falling 70 80 feet and having tons (laughs) tons of rubble fall on top of you and to be able still to extract a car that has more than two dimensions it says a lot about it you're you're right you're exactly right i know you're uh on your way to a dinner i don't want to keep you too too long we've already went a little bit longer than we talked about going but appreciate you calling in hopefully you use some of that scotty d media pass to have a few photographs you can send my way and we'll hopefully pop up on Instagram this week and Facebook and get it out there to the social media. We definitely and, can. And I look forward to getting you and Derek back in your studios and recording a regular episode next week, maybe touching on how the weekend's totally concluded and who knows what's next. That's right. Yeah. I'm ready to uh, get back in our normal routine again. This, uh, this week was uh, really uh, pretty intense for me, uh, being in uh, St. Louis on, uh, what was that, Tuesday, yeah. Uh, we talked what, on Tuesday. We'll, we'll, we'll tell everybody about your new toy on Wednesday. <laughs> right, so. That sounds good. <laughs> like I said, I'll let you go ahead and get to dinner, and uh, we thank you for taking 15, 20 minutes out of your bu- busy weekend to sit down with the listeners and chat no problem i enjoy doing it so we will talk uh talk wednesday
talk to you then. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Will, obviously. And one other thing that I was able to do this week, uh, it's one of those perks of the job, is spend a little bit of time from some uh, engineer designers from Ilmore Engineering out of the UK. They were over visiting. They're kind of doing a bucket list tour, visiting a lot of places across the country. Heard them discuss some things that, well, I can't tell you what we discussed. I think some of that stuff's secret. We never know. One of these gentlemen was on the development of uh, the 1993 Mercedes Ilmore engine program which there's a wonderful book about, and you can learn how they reference to talking about the high-performance V8 motors from Chevrolet and Will there and the LS motors. This was a or an Elmore-designed engine for Mercedes, was able to produce as a pushrod V8, and I can't remember the displacement, 3, 3.2 liters or so, was able to produce over 1,000 horsepower due to a interpretation of the rules. As they say, the rules tell you what you can't do. They don't tell you what you can do, and it all comes down to how you read it. And while I can't go into the whole story, and it's really, like I said, I don't know what I can say, what I can't say. There's a book out published. It's on Amazon called The Beast. I'll have links on our website from, from our affiliate store that you could go ahead and click. The most economical way to do it is to get it on Kindle. The rest, it's out of publication, so everything else is through private sellers. But we'll have a link on the website. Pick up that book. It's a fascinating read discussing this development of the Elmore engine in that. And while you're at it, and if while you're at it, anytime you're going to go to Amazon, go through our website and click our affiliate link or any of the products that's mentioned there. We'll get a couple of pennies back from it. It's not much, but Every little dollar helps as we keep adding new and new equipment. We had to buy a little bit of equipment to set up to do some of these phone interviews. And while it's not going to be perfect this week with the audio quality, it takes me a week or two to learn how to do all of this stuff. But it's important to get the shows out to you. And that affiliate link does help help us out, helps you out, doesn't cost you anything extra. And like I said, those Amazon links help us keep rolling over here at No Driving Gloves. Thank you for joining us for this abbreviated episode this week. We look forward to talking to you next week. See you later.